I want to say a word of congratulations to the many of you who have exercised real discipline and been here in worship Sunday after Sunday during this very long and hard winter. One of the most outstanding things that I know about Bakerstown Church is that on Sunday morning the people will be there. Regardless of weather, regardless who's present, preaching, not only the Lord, but the people of Bakerstown will be at their place of worship. And I thank you for that support, that knowledge that we have, that you will be here. Also, I want to welcome back some people that have been away, one person in particular. A year ago, we said goodbye to Sharon Johns as she went as an AFS student to Uruguay. She's back home. We welcome her and all others who have been away, who are attending again in this, their home church. Hear the word of God today as it is found in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And there we're going to be reading from the first chapter beginning at the eighth verse. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war befalls us, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramos. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they made the people of Israel serve with rigor and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work they made them serve with rigor. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and are delivered before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives. 
And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Amen and amen. Egypt had a problem, big problem. It had been four hundred and some years since the sons of Jacob had come down to Egypt to dwell with their brother Joseph in the land which is called the land of Goshen. And during that period of 400 years, they multiplied. They increased in strength, in wisdom, and in number. And they were proving to be a potential hazard and embarrassment to the Egyptian officials who wondered what they might do if any enemy would attack. Egypt had a problem. So Pharaoh took it upon himself, the project of seeing that the Hebrews, the Israelites, would be kept unproductive, ineffective, and useless. That was his goal. That was his plan. But as history tells us, poor Pharaoh failed. He wasn't successful in keeping the Israelites weak, ineffective, and unprotected. As a matter of fact, just the opposite took place. Poor Pharaoh failed. And here in the first chapter of the book of Exodus, we can get some indication and glimpses as to why Pharaoh failed. When you study at length this particular passage of Scripture, you begin to see that he failed because, first of all, he did not understand human development. Pharaoh was one of those individuals who felt that discipline would bring about weakness. And he felt that if he gave the people work to do, heavy burdens to carry, difficult tasks to accomplish, if he would use only discipline, he would break the Israelites' backs. But it doesn't work that way. Discipline doesn't make for weakness. Discipline has, does now, and always will build strength. Poor Pharaoh, though, he didn't understand this because he didn't understand human development. If Pharaoh would have wanted to keep the people weak, he would have been much smarter if, if he would have said to them, Hey, do your own thing. 
if he would have taken their jobs away from them and put all of the men on the well welfare rolls. If he had done that, he would have kept the people weak. But he didn't understand human development. And he thought the way you do it to make people weak is to apply discipline. But discipline makes only for strength, not for weakness. But Pharaoh failed because he did not understand human development. And he failed for a second reason, because he did not understand human nature. If he would have understood human nature, he would have not moved into that second tactic. When he saw that discipline was not getting him to his ends, but rather working against him, he decided upon a second move, and that was baby murder. He believed that if he could get rid of all of the young babies that were males, eventually that would weaken the Hebrew race. Now, it sounds like a pretty good plan. After all, there have been other leaders in history that have tried baby murder to get rid of people. But it wasn't very sound upon the principle of human nature. The very plan itself is utterly repulsive, even to the most despicable of minds. Murder can never be justified, no matter where it takes place, but we must admit that murder in war, murder that comes as a result of attack, murder that, that happens out of even anger or frustration or fear, Though it can never be justified, it can be understood, but murdering of innocent children who are but a few minutes old, that cannot be tolerated by any human being. And even the greatest and most hardened of criminals do not accept that as being legitimate to the human race. But Pharaoh didn't understand human nature, and he insisted that the way was through baby murder. He didn't understand human nature. It's very, very clear to see, because look who it was that he expected to fulfill such a dastardly deed. Probably, tragically, he would have been successful if if he himself would have committed the murders or, or hired cutthroats or paid assassins or employed people whose minds were sick. But not knowing human nature, he asked just exactly the wrong people. Look who he asked, women. And not just any women, but women who had dedicated their lives to help bring children into the world, midwives. And he said to the midwives, whenever you see male babies being born, get rid of them. How could he be so stupid? It was because he didn't understand human nature to say to a person, a nurse, a midwife, who is dedicated not into destroying, but rather preserving and bringing about life, 
to say to such a person, get rid of babies, that is just as ridiculous as you saying to a hungry, anxious child to throw away the freshly baked cookies which he or she has just helped mother to bake. It's against human nature. And the reason Pharaoh failed was because he didn't understand human nature. He even thought that instruction was enough to fulfill the task. He gave merely an instruction to two women to do what he was not willing to do himself. And anybody who thinks that only instruction and information is enough is an individual who does not understand human nature. How many of you parents have told your children to do something and they don't do it and you wonder why? If it's an impossible task, that's your stupidity. If it's a task that goes against human nature, those children really have no other result or action to take but to even lie and deceive. When we ask people to do things, and we do not understand human nature, the chances are the only reward that will come is that we will teach them how to deceive and lie. That's, that's what Pharaoh did to those midwives. They couldn't take the lives of those little babies, so what they did when asked why they didn't do it, they lied. When you read this in the Hebrew, you can see the Hebrew humor. They made a fool out of the king, but they lied and deceived them, tried to lie and deceive the king by saying, the Egyptian women, they're not as strong as the Hebrew women. Those Hebrew women are so vigorous that when they give childbirth, it's so quick that the child is delivered even before we get there. That was a big lie. They refuse to yield because there are certain laws of God and of man such as reverence for life that is stronger than even the most harsh of instructions. But a person who does not understand that is a person who does not understand human nature. And when we do not understand human nature, we stand the tendency of creating people who deceive themselves and lie to others and whenever anybody does that in a home or a church or in the country that institution is not strengthened but rather it is weakened poor Pharaoh failed because he didn't understand human development nor human nature and because he refused to use good old common human sense. Look what Pharaoh did when he saw that his plan wasn't working, that the people were deceiving him, that instead of the Jews being weakened, they were growing in strength, Instead of analyzing the situation with good old common human sense and saying something is wrong, we've got to change. No, not Pharaoh. He just kept 
ongoing. He perpetrated the very thing that he was trying to get rid of. He, he's like that individual that Bob Kennedy told me about, an individual who was selling pumpkins for 50 cents apiece that he had to pay 60 cents apiece for wholesale. And after a period of time, it dawned on him that he was not making money, but losing money. Instead of changing the price, instead of changing his philosophy, the individual was stupid enough to just go out and buy more pumpkins. And he thought that he could make up what he was losing in profit through volume. You'd be surprised the number of people that think that way. They know they're making a mistake. They're ineffective. They are unproductive. They know something is wrong, but they don't use human common sense. And they just keep on perpetrating the very thing that they claim they are trying to destroy. And Pharaoh said to all of the people, not just the two midwives, but to all of the people, wherever you see a male baby of the Jewish tradition, throw him into the Nile. And when he made that universal statement, which was made out of something other than human common sense, he threw his whole program right down the midst of the river, and he failed. And you know the story, Exodus goes on to tell how eventually God brought up an individual through those people, an individual by the name of Moses who led them out into the promised land, and the Israelites became strong in their land, became very prosperous and successful, and failed not until the day when they began to be people who did not understand human development, who did not understand human nature, and who eventually did not use human common sense, and then they failed. This is not a sermon to try to extol the failures of Pharaoh, but it is a sermon that is preached with the hope that we may learn from his mistakes. After all, what good is history if we do not learn from those mistakes of our predecessors? History is li of little value if we only memorialize the successes and do not learn from the failures. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't have too much to say about it because it's God who has entrusted to you and to me an awesome responsibility, a terribly difficult task, and that is to help our children, to help our churches, and to help the citizens of this great country to become strong and not weak, to show them the way that is right and to prevent all of us from going down the tube in failure. And if 
we are going to succeed in the destiny for which God has created us and placed us on this earth at this particular time in history. And if we're going to succeed in that fruit that he has called us to bear, then we must be people who I think stop and evaluate and see whether or not we are using the discipline that is necessary in human development. You know, we're living in an age when discipline is looked upon as being a very bad thing. And I think it's high time for all of us to realize that it's not wrong to be hard-nosed sometimes. I think we have got to get rid of the idea that work is just another four-letter dirty word. I think it's high time that we start teaching discipline in all of our classrooms and just not on the football field or basketball court. I, for one, beginning to believe that we should start supporting legislators and legislation which does the right thing in adequately taking care of those people who are unable to work but who does the loving thing and says to the strong-bodied but lazy and indifferent people who will not work no, and kick them out of the welfare rolls. I think we've got to be people who begin to understand that it's inactivity, not activity, that weakens people. I think we've got to do a better job in our own lives and in the lives of those whom we love in trying to show that self-discipline is the way to strength, not by doing your own thing and advocating that everybody else does his own thing. We in the Western world are beginning to wake up, and I hope it's not too late, of the power and the presence of what is called the third world. Folks, don't be so blind to the fact that you do not realize the impact that they are having upon our society. And when you ask, who is the third world? Those nations that have known persecution, oppression, people who have been under some form of slavery, and people who did not grow weak, but in that discipline have become strong. Their voice and their presence is being heard all around the world today, and we in America and in the Western world have got to be developing people who are strong enough and disciplined enough that we can meet them in love and not compete with each other, but complement one another in the peace and the prosperity of God's beautiful world. That's going to take strong people. It's going to take disciplined 
people. And you think it's bad now, you wait until our children and our children's children wrestle with it. It will be too late then to try to teach them discipline to be strong unless we understand the place of discipline in human development now. Pharaoh failed also because he did not understand human nature. I sometimes wonder how well I understand human nature. How about you? I'm beginning to think one of the things that we don't understand about human nature is sometimes we don't understand what works with human beings. Even into the church we find ourselves involved with what I call this creeping humanism. It's going rapid all throughout the Western world. This belief that we have that as long as you give people enough instructions, as long as you give them enough information, as long as you give them enough time, they'll be able to work out anything. That philosophy is not Christian, ladies and gentlemen. That's humanistic philosophy, and humanistic philosophy is not Christian. In the Christian church, we say, yes, information is important. Let them know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. We say instruction is important. Train up a child in the way in which he shall go, and he shall not depart from it. But we see something else in Jesus Christ. We see inspiration and influence. And we have learned, or we should have learned through Christ, that it's information and instruction coupled with inspiration and the influence of a personality. That is what helps people and is basic to an understanding of human nature. We in the church, I think, are the most guilty of cutting down heroes today. I don't know what's wrong with us in the major brands, but as, as long as somebody in one of the big denominations is successful and, and is sound and, and is seemingly feeding people, do you know what we clergy do? Instead of setting him up as a model, we tear him down with ridicule and sarcasm and say all sorts of ugly things about him, and that's tragic. It's been going on now for, for many years. I can remember in the late 50s of going into Calvary Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh to hear Dr. Norman Vincent's, Vincent Peale speak. It was during the height of his popularity after the selling of his power of positive thinking. I took with me a, a blind friend who was also a pastor in the town that I was serving at that time. We went an hour early to get a seat. It's a good thing we did because by time the service was to begin, there wasn't a seat to be had. I don't remember much that Dr. Peel said that night, but I'll never forget Dr. Sam Shoemaker, who was then the rector of Calvary Episcopal Church. Some of you knew Sam. He looked like everybody's grandpa, and he just had a great personality. He and Dr. Peel were great friends, and he said, uh, we're honored to have a man here tonight who in New York is not very popular amongst the clergy. 
The clergy in New York City claim that this is a man who plays to the people in the balconies. And then he said with that little twinkle in his eye, of course, uh, he's the only preacher in New York that has anybody in the balconies to play to. <laughs> We're so afraid of setting up heroes. We think just information and instruction will be enough. The people who followed the Reverend James Jones down there in his little compound, you know, they weren't all dummies. They had instructions, they had information, they had all sorts of knowledge. But what led them to death was the inspiration and influence of a person who had a very sick mind. But it still shows the power of influence. We in the church are very frightened of Reverend Moon in the Unification Church because he gets our young people. His theology stinks. But his understanding of human nature is superb. He attracts the nature that is in people. We in the established church, we're afraid to make heroes for fear they might run away with us. When are we ever going to learn from Jesus that he was the Word made flesh, that a sermon that you can see living in a human being is worth a thousand that you only hear?